Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campuses join with us in Appleton and Stevens Point this morning. And let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith as who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us this morning. I hope you're enjoying this fabulous, fabulous weather that we're having here in Wisconsin. You want to get out and join us. We only get about one of these a year. So uh, <laughs> I got a text from uh, Pastor Chad over in our Appleton campus. Baby alert, he says. Tyler and Emily Rodriguez had a baby boy. Woohoo! Liam Alexandra Case Rodriguez. Uh, I was born a Rodriguez, actually. I was, along with every other Puerto Rican. And... Uh, but it had a name change because when I was very young, my, my parents got a divorce uh, because they couldn't agree. My father wanted to have girlfriends and my mother, you know, she just couldn't agree and uh, <laughs> kind of <laughs> ruined all of that. But uh, God bless all the Rodriguez's this morning. Amen. We have a special guest treat for you today. Tim Kimmel, who's been here several times before, travels all over the world teaching on family and God's plan for the family. Uh, he's uh, written more books than I've probably read. Uh, a, <laughs> you laugh, but it's probably true. Uh, and uh, a graduate of a Dallas Theological Seminary, he holds a PhD, which we will not hold against him. But of all his incredible accomplishments, his greatest is that he is my friend. Would you please welcome Tim Kimmel. Indeed, indeed, indeed. I'm my friend. Love you. Thank you. I uh, do enjoy any time I get to cross paths with Mark, even better when I get to cross paths with Mark and his wonderful bride. And normally when Mark and I go out to dinner somewhere, we usually get kicked out, but we have a great, <laughs> great time. And I just want to tell you that uh, I, I want to continue that great time with you this morning as we, as we dial in uh, and we extend our worship and talk about the grace of God as it has to do with the relationships that are closest to us. We all have these relationships, and God configured us in families. You all, many of you came here from the parking lot, and you were walking together as families. And with the kids there, you could see a DNA code. And, and, all. and, and, and uh, we have marriages. We, we might be in a, a, a time of a singleness, and, and we have great relationships there. How do we bring the best out of those? That's what I want to talk about, because I think we're running so fast, so busy, so hurried, and, and it just doesn't seem to be slowing down. In fact, if I could illustrate it, it reminds me of the guy, I have seen this at a circus, a clown do this, I saw this on a, a variety show, maybe you see the person that spins plates on a stick, have you ever seen that? I've always wanted to do that. With someone else's dishes. <laughs> these, are, 
No, you, you know, there, I don't know how many plates you're spinning, but let's say you're on the front side of your life. You know, you just finished college and you're starting to take on, on life here. You have a bunch of plates that you're spinning. You have a plate called, you know, your career, and you might have a plate called friends, and you're finishing up a degree program, or, or, or you're, you're involved in church, and you get to all these plates spinning, and you know how you get one going, and then they'd add a second, a third, fourth, fifth, and the more they, they, they do, the, the, they start to wobble, and so you're just running all over the place trying to keep them running smoothly. But the cool thing is, there's an app for this. I mean, you know, you can, you can figure out how to, how to do this, because we're pretty clever people. Then you get married, and you add that plate to it. And after you're married a while, then some of these things come along. And these require a lot more velocity to keep them going smoothly. Uh, and so you get your little plates in. We had four children, and you got your little saucers among your plates, and you're going crazy, and you think, okay, once again, I think we got this figured out, then one of these comes along. This is a teenager. It's not a saucer anymore. And it's not a plate yet. Just thinks it is. Wants all the privileges of a plate. Doesn't have any money. It sure has a mind of its own when you try and put some spin on it, doesn't it? Well, I don't know about you. There was a time when of our, of our four kids, three of them were teenagers all at once. And, and, and you know, you, and when, when they were little, they, they, you know, you just felt like when we had our first child, we felt like we were basically, parenting was just basically being controlled by a little idiot. I mean, they were just... <laughs> driving you nuts, and, and you wish that maybe Fisher-Price had a, a little baby taser thing. Not, not the big thing, not, not that thing like the, the, the cop shoes, but something little, you know, just kind of lock them up good. But, and we needed help. And so we did like what a lot of new parents do. Uh, we started reading what Christian books were out there on parenting. There, there weren't nearly as many as there are now. But we saw them falling into two categories that started to make us nervous. Now, there was some good stuff and helpful stuff, but we saw that sometimes the author was coming from the perspective of fear. And they were accommodating what I think is a, a very prevailing, um, a prevailing theme among even Christian families, and that's fear-based parenting. And, and here were these people, they felt overwhelmed and outgunned, and, uh, and they, they, they were afraid of the, the culture, they were afraid of specific things like the internet, or cohabitating neighbors, or public schools, or, or, or Hollywood, or the music. And so they would create a family situation, a philosophy for parenting, that would basically control all the things they were afraid of, and it's more of a hunker down, lock down, isolate thing. And I thought, we want nothing to do with that kind of a parenting plan. That's, that's dead on arrival. And, and, and it's a walking contradiction to what we're trying to teach our kids, that we have a mighty God that is bigger than all this stuff that we can trust. Listen, if, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should be the last person afraid of just about anything. The only thing, God, the only thing we're supposed to be afraid of, a thing God built into us to be afraid of, I'm afraid to cross a freeway on foot during rush hour. I, it's a good fear. Don't do that. You'll get killed. Uh, but, but, but to be afraid of all this other stuff, our God is bigger than this. My favorite nickname of God is the one that Jesus, Jesus gave him this nickname to himself. When, when he, asked, he appeared before John in the book of Revelation, he says, here, write this down. I am the Alpha and the Omega. And then he went on to give the Revelation. Well, the Alpha and the Omega, Alpha and the Omega is like A and Z for our alphabet. It was the first and last letters of the Greek 
alphabet that they were speaking in. And basically, he was saying this. Write this down. I'm the God who had the first word, and I'm the one who's going to have the last one. If you took all the pieces of advice in the Bible and, and it put, you know, the longest list of what God said more than anything else is don't be afraid. So fear-based parenting, we, thought, we didn't want that. Well, the other type of books that were out there were, were what I would call performance-based parenting, where we, 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 we were, uh, it was families that were really big into evangelical behavioral modification and sin management and, 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 and spiritual image control. And once again, we thought, we don't want that either. That's a dead-on-arrival plan. Uh, and, and so what we started looking at is, well, how does God treat us? God, God's a parent in the Bible. We're his children. And we get, when we started looking at him through that lens, and this is Darcy's a brainsy operation. She's the one who made the observations that, you know, God is a parent. And it's, we're his kids. Why, I wonder if we could put some filters and look through the Bible through that. And sure enough, as soon as we did, it just jumped right out at us. That there's a, there is a plan for parenting in the Bible. And, and, we, and, and, and the prevailing theme of it is God's heart of grace. And, and, and so we, we, we said, let's, let's kind of, let's kind of, why don't we treat our kids the way God treats us, with grace? And we started quantifying it. In fact, we got to where we could actually write it down in a napkin. And put that napkin up there for a second. Uh, we, we could actually write it out. And I have a, uh, if you go to our resource table out there, you can get one of these things. But we saw that God's grace comes at us from four levels. And then in the, the flip side of this goes into the pieces of that. And that's what we started developing for ourselves, for our kids, and then ultimately wrote about. I want to take that second level on there and give them freedoms, and I want to dial in on what that would look like. If we wanted to have a, 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 an atmosphere of grace in our home, a culture of grace, let me give you why this is so important, because when grace isn't in place, uh, it's hard for everything else you're doing spiritually to work. An example, let's say, let's say use, use our setting right here. When you came to church this morning to celebration, would you say the celebration presented itself well as a facility and a, and a staff and a team? And I would say, absolutely, straight A's. I mean, it's a handsome building, nice people, the people that greeted us, all that stuff. We got in here. Would you, would you say that so far the worship team did everything right and nobly and, and good and biblical? I mean, some of those, those songs were almost straight out of the Bible. And, and they presented so well and humbly. And, and, and so in the prayers we've had, everything, would you say everything we've done so far at Celebration has been done biblically correct? Have we got the truth right? Yeah, okay. I, I agree with you. But what if it was 25 degrees in this room the whole time? And you're dressed just like you are right now. See, it wouldn't matter how right we're getting it. It wouldn't matter. You're so cold, you'd be so distracted. And that's what it's like in relationships and homes where we're working like mad to make sure we're teaching the kids all the Bible and doing everything right and taking them to church and, and all that stuff. But the grace isn't there. Grace is how we do what we do. And it all comes from the way we're viewing that other person with high value and desiring their best. So what would that look like? To, to set you up, let me give you two overarching verses from Scripture that I think really dial in on what this is supposed to look like. The first one is in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. It says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And so there's a lot of ways that God's grace wants to play itself out. And, and how about this one in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8? <coughs> Pardon me. And God is able <clears throat> to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every 
good work. So how do we create a culture of grace? See, what I, I guess what I'm wanting to say, let's step back and, and, and take this concept of grace and, and realize that uh, the biggest problem that Christians have is they limit God's grace to salvation. That's our biggest problem. We get the I was lost, now I'm found, I was blind, now I see. We get that part. And then we, we just leave it there, and then we go on in a performance basis with God. He says, no, no, no. I want the grace that I save you with now to redefine you, wash over you, and become your default mode in how you treat the people the closest to you. What would that look like? Well, one of the things we do Race-based families do is they give the people they love the freedom to be different. Let me look at four quick freedoms. And the first one is the freedom to be different. <coughs> now, uh, it, it, leave that, that word up there for a second. I, I want them to look at this word. Different. That looks pretty safe, doesn't it? Let me give you some synonyms for it so you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like weird. You give people, people, people you love the freedom to be weird or bizarre strange, goofy, or quirky. Grace-based homes have room for those kind of people. They celebrate those kind of people. Fear-based homes do not have room for them, and performance-based homes don't have room for them. <coughs> uh, the reason, the reason the, the fear-based and, and performance-based people don't have it is because, because when, when kids are weird, bizarre, strange, goofy, and quirky, they annoy us. You say, stop that. Why? Well, you annoy me. And, or, or they embarrass us. Please, stop that. Why? Will you embarrass me? And, and, and then it's easy to, crack, to, to, to attach morality to that. You're being bad. When really, they're not being bad. They're just being weird. <laughs> they're, just, they're just bizarre. They're quirky. They're not being bad. They're just different. And grace-based homes have room for different people. You, take, you have a little boy, put him in the backyard to play. What will a little boy do? Go over and do a headbutt right into a tree. Go boom, right into the tree. You say, are you nuts? He's a little boy. They do headbutts into trees. They're, they're just... <laughs> they have a little girl. Little girls, even if they're only children, are never alone. They're always talking to somebody, imaginary friends. They have imaginary friends. Or you give them a pile of rocks, they'll make a family. Look, here this big one here. This is a daddy. His name's Mike. And here's the mama. And all this. You give them little Barbie dolls, right? Four or five barbers, they'll make, they'll play the view. They'll line them up in a little semicircle and they'll argue with each other. Little brother comes in, sees a Barbie doll. What will he do? Bites the head off, throws it like a grenade, makes explosive sounds. They're weird. Then they become teenagers. They become teenagers. And, and uh, uh, your son goes over to his friend's house. He's 14, 15 years old. And he goes over and says, you know, I'm thinking about having a new hairdo. Friends, I'll help. <laughs> Tell you what, lay down on the grass, cover your ears. And, and his buddy gets out the weed eater. And, you know, and then they go in the house and get it in the mother's medicine cabinet, get out the, 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 the Clara or the L'Oreal, and they squeeze a bunch of it in the thing and mix it all up, put it in his hair, rinse it out. And it comes out a little blue, a little pink, a little green, a little yellow, spikes it out. And then he goes home to show his mother his new hairdo comes walking into the kitchen there, and she's standing there, and she looks at him and says, you know, I don't think Jesus would be very pleased with your hair. <laughs> Isn't it interesting how when we are uh, panicking, we, we do some of the most serious name dropping you can do. I don't think Jesus would be very pleased with your hair. That's, a, that's the biggest artillery you can pull out on a kid. Now, you know, right now, I'm using hair as an example because 
uh, it's often a point of contention, but right now, kids' hair is fairly conservative. But I've gone through seasons when, you know, I'm old enough that I've, I've battled, I, I mean, I've refereed a lot of families' fights about their kids' hairdos. One of the things I do for uh, my Bible reading every year is I read through the Bible every year, and one year, I was just trying, trying to figure out, what's the Bible have to say about hair? So I put, on January 1st, I put in a little uh, 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 bookmark in front of my thing, keep your eye out for what God has to say about hair. <laughs> I've read through the entire Bible. And here's what God has to say about hair. He said, I, I don't care. <laughs> it's your hair. Express yourself. You can use it as a lab experiment for all I care. It's your hair. And some of you might want to grab the chance while you can. Because <laughs> it's going to bail on you. Uh, now, now, can you as parents have rules and regulations about your kid's hairstyle? The answer is, of course you can. You're the parents. You can make arbitrary rules. Just don't make them moral issues when they're not. Don't make them biblical issues when you're not. Because when we say something like, I don't think Jesus is very pleased with whatever, when it really it's just they're being weird, we shove a wedge between that kid's heart and us and that kid's heart in God. Grace doesn't do that. I love the way um, uh, in, in uh, Proverbs, it says, train up in Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Chuck Swindoll did some great exegetical work on Hebrew of that, and he found out that the word that says in the way he should go uh, means according to their unique inner bent. And, and so we want, and some of your kids are just, you know, they're avant-garde, they're, they're really different. So what? God made them that way. Train them up that way. Now, let me give you one more example from my family. Our youngest son is a boy named Colt. He was tall from the beginning and went into junior high. He was well over six feet tall and a great kid. And in his eighth grade, he asked me, Dad, can I grow my hair long this year? I said, man, give it your best shot. You're going to have to grow it a long time before it's as long as mine was when I was in the eighth grade. And he grew his hair real long. And, and it looked so, so neat. Well, it, it was in springtime. I was down in Miami speaking at a church, and I was actually done. It was on a Sunday. I was done, and I was on my way to the airport when my phone went off. And it was cold. He said, Dad, it's spring break. I know. I, we're going to have a ton of fun. He said, Dad, I was wondering, can I have a mohawk? I thought about that. I, yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be fun. Listen, I'll be home about 7 o'clock tonight. I'll cut you a great mohawk. You can have it all week. But on Saturday, we're going to have to buzz it off because your school doesn't allow mohawks. Said, Great. So we both hung up. Now, you need to know something. I was factoring in something. I was factoring in church. Because you see, we go to a large metropolitan church in Scottsdale. And at that time, because of overcrowded conditions, they moved all the youth programs to the evening. Plus, a, they had a matching uh, church service in the evening for the parents that they had in the morning. So they, had, so they could get maybe a thousand or so people in the evening. So he was going to be there. Church would be over, I'll cut him his mohawk, cut it off next Saturday, covered it. He hung up the phone and his sister Shiloh was listening. What did dad say? He said, I can have one, he's going to cut it when he gets home tonight. She said, I know how to cut one of those. <laughs> they got out the scissors and the clippers and she cut him a mohawk. They took Elmer's glue and they glued that thing up. And he went to church with that. 
I'm, I know he just sucked the oxygen out of lungs all over and older people were just, just taking every medication they had in their person and wondering what happened to the security breakdown at this church. And, 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 and I'm sure some people, isn't that the son of the guy that writes the books on parenting? But, but what's cool is in between the two services, everybody kind of gathers out in the big area like you all do. And our senior pastor at the time was a guy named Daryl. And he was out there with a bunch of people and he saw Colt go by and he, he Cole Kimmel, is that you? Get over here, get over here. And Cole came over and everybody's going, he said, that's the greatest mohawk I've, I've ever seen. That is incredible. How do you get it to stay up like that? Glue. And then he was, <laughs> I wish I had a picture of the camera. I'd take a picture of you. Me and Cole Kimmel with his cool mohawk. I put it in my study. Because you see, you need to know something. We took our kids to a grace-based church. We, it was very important to us that we took our kids to a church on Sunday where the people running it know what matters and what doesn't matter. Man looks on the outside, the Bible says. God looks on the heart. This kid had a great heart. He loved his parents. He loved God. He, he was a good, good he loved his, his, his siblings. He worked hard in school. He served, he was a great kid. He just wanted a mohawk. They say, wait a minute, Tim. Don't you think sometimes the way a kid is dressing on the outside is reflecting a big problem on the inside? Said, of course. My question would be, does it make any sense to attack the outside? The outside is a symptom of a heart problem. Work with the heart, get the heart right, fix the heart, the outside will take care of itself. If there's nothing wrong with the heart, don't worry about the outside. It's, that's how grace comes to our rescue. That's how Jesus treats us. Grace is simply treating people the way Jesus treats us. Um, Grace-based homes give the people they love the freedom to be different. Let me, let me give you another one. They give the people they love the freedom to be vulnerable. To be vulnerable. Meaning that the, the people we love don't have to wear masks around us. Or they, they, they can verbalize their doubts and their fears without fear of being attacked, of being marginalized or ridiculed or mocked. I was going into the ninth grade to a big 5A high school, Annapolis High School in Maryland. I was very excited to be going into ninth grade because <clears throat> the girls were prettier, the rock and roll was louder, and there was more of both. Plus, I was going to play football for their famous coach. But in between my eighth and ninth year, that summer, several hundred of us incoming freshmen got letters in the mail from the Board of Education saying because of overcrowded conditions, we were being annexed to an elementary school in downtown Annapolis. So instead of going to the big high school, we're back in elementary school. A lot of trade-offs. Probably the biggest one was in the area of phys ed. Because normally for phys ed, you'd put on a phys ed outfit and you go out and play. And, and it's a humid area, so you might sweat a lot, no problem. Take a shower, put your school clothes back on. We didn't have that option. We had to do everything in our school clothes. There was a gymnasium on the second floor of a county building a, a couple blocks from the school. And I went over there one winter morning for phys ed. And I walked in and I got very excited as soon as I walked in because there was a trampoline open in the middle of the gym. And I got excited because... I'd never jumped on one before. They weren't pieces of equipment in backyards back then. Our PE coach came out, we all gathered around, and he's looking at all of us, and he came back to me. He said, Kimmel, take off your shoes, leave on your socks, climb up here, follow my instructions. So I pulled my shoes off and got up, but as I did, I realized I had holes in both of my socks. Not one, both. And one of my friends thought everybody should notice this. He said, oh, look at Tim's toes. Isn't this sad? Let's take up a collection, buy Tim some real socks. 
Now, were that to happen to me now at my age, I could care less what people think about that. But you know, when you're in that corridor of time, that 14, 15, 16, that's a time when kids are unusually self-conscious. And this became a real embarrassing, humiliating moment for me. It was like he was putting down my family's economics, which, by the way, we were on the very bottom strata of middle class. We paid our bills on time, we didn't miss a meal, but our thing was, our mantra was, try and get as much mileage out of your clothing as you can. And up to that point, I thought it was a good idea. Till I was up there doing exactly what he was telling me to do, but all I could think about was my toes sticking out. When I was done with my turn, I said, I'm going to go home and get my sock drawer. I'm going to darn every person. I will never let this happen to me again. Well, the other guys jumped. The bell finally rang. Coach dismissed us. He took off. I got on my shoes. Whenever I got on my coat, got my books, and I went out the side door, and I was going down the stairs. I got to the bottom of the stairs, and I hear my name, Kimmel, wait up. It was my PE coach. He came down, and he pulled me aside. I said, hey, Tim, I want to tell you why I called on you to do the demonstration. Tim, you're the most agile student in my class. And then he reached down, and he pulled off his tennis shoe, and he had a big old hole in his sock. He's standing there wiggling his toes. and said, you know, us agile guys are tough on socks, man. <laughs> Now, go to class. So I'm heading over to class, and the whole way, I was thinking, what's agile? Because <laughs> I had never heard the word before. I, I was a fairly limited uh, uh, student. I had no idea, but I was going to English class, and they had these big dictionaries on our own stand. They loved it when you actually looked up a word without a gun held to your head. So I went over to look up agile. Now, I'm glad I didn't find argyle. That would have been confusing, but I found agile. <laughs> And I, I read for the first time in my life that I could move with speed, ease, elegance, and liveliness. And I read for the first time in my life that I was mentally alert and quick-witted. No one had ever told me that before. I wrote it down. <laughs> and I memorized it. And I did a 180-degree turn in two major areas of my life, academics and athletics. In fact, a couple weeks later, they had this contest. Who can do the most sit-ups in the ninth grade? Now, they weren't these stomach crunches we do now. You can do millions of those. These are these uh, since-banned arthritic ba lower back pain uh, injury uh, things that they don't allow in the public school system. Back where you had to lay flat, somebody had to hold down your feet, which, by the way, hurt like mad. You had to come up and cross over and touch the opposite knee with your elbow. And, you know, it, I set the record that year. And, and the only reason I kept doing so much is I wanted to set the record, and this guy next to me wouldn't stop. And I, and I just, I want to do at least one more than him. And we, look, we kept going. We set up through phys ed class, through English class, and through lunch. They let us just keep going. They were sending runners up. They're up to 293. They're up to 400 and whatever. And, and, and finally we finished, and, and I'd won that thing. And my stomach muscles hurt for days after that. <laughs> but I didn't care, because I was agile. You know, it took a while for me to put all the pieces together to figure out why the coach disappeared so quickly after class. So he had to get his little, uh, uh, little office off the gym, get his shoe off, get his scissors, cut the hole in his sock, put the shoe on, and chase me down. He didn't go around with holes in his socks. He was a PE teacher. They get new shoes and socks all the time. It's part of their deal. <laughs> but he saw a vulnerable kid that needed help, and he touched his life with grace. Now, listen. Our children and grandchildren have these kind of moments all the time. Someone has described youth, childhood, as a 24-hour day, seven-day a week, 365-day a year battle to keep from being embarrassed. 
We need to have grace waiting for them. Look what the word of God says on this. You know, Paul had a thorn in the flesh. He, I went to God several times to take it away, and, and we don't know what it was, but and each time God said no, and he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weaknesses. And then look at this, Colossians 4, 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Grace-based families give the people they love the freedom to be different and vulnerable. Thirdly, they give them the freedom to be candid. To be candid. Notice I didn't say the freedom to be honest, because obviously we want honesty, but bare-naked honesty can be cruel. The Jerry Springer Show is an example of honest people telling you exactly what they're thinking without any concern of how that affects you. But candor is honesty with the best interest of the person on the receiving end in mind. And we need to give our kids the freedom to be candid. They need to be candid about the things they're struggling with and not fear that, you know, we're going to take their head off. And they need to have an outlet to be candid with us when we let them down or frustrate them because we certainly talk to them when they let us down, right? But it's a two-way street. Unless you're a perfect parent, and none of us are, we get it wrong sometimes. They need to have an outlet for that. And we built that into our kids early on. They knew they could talk with us anytime we pushed that button over. In fact, our son Cody, uh, he was in high school. He had finished his homework, getting ready to go to bed. And, and he stopped by. He said, oh, Dad, I forgot to mention. I need you to call me out of school tomorrow by noon. I, what's up? He said, oh, it's opening day of the Diamondbacks. And my friend Stephen had uh, got tickets right behind the dugout, and he's invited me to go. Now, the Arizona Diamondbacks had defeated the New York Yankees the year before in the World Series, so this is a big, this is a big opening game. But for some dumb reason, I thought I needed to teach this, this kid about personal responsibility. Say, Cody, you're a student. You go to school at 8, you get off at 3. You don't just get to take off because something fun's out there. But, Dad, they're going to have F-16s flyover. Well, that's neat, but, but you know, uh, it's like you have a job. When we, well, I have jobs, and we, we don't just get to just take off for every fun thing. I said, Dad, I think Randy Johnson's going to be in the mound. Well, yeah, but, and I went back to my little lecture on personal responsibility. I said, Dad, I think Alice Cooper's going to sing the national anthem. And you can just see the poor kid getting so exasperated. And finally, he got real quiet, but he said, very respectfully, said, listen, Dad, I bring you home straight A's. All I've ever brought you home are straight A's. I can't bring you home any better grades than I'm bringing you. Now, you need to decide whether I can go to that game. It was like one of those big divine hands, arms came right down out of heaven through the clouds and did one of these right on the top of my head. What is your problem? Sign that kid out. Are you nuts? And here's what's really ironic. Those straight A's weren't from my side of the gene pool. Those are from his mother's. I struggled in school for my grades. I, I felt you should have vowels and consonants on your report card. See, look. Look, Dad, this is one of them find-a-word games. I see like three or four. Yeah, how many? Do you, could you sign the bottom while you're at it? You know, here's the other thing that's ridiculous. I would have never asked my dad to sign me out of school. I'd have played hooky. Here was this respectful kid. I reached in my pocket. I took out two large bills, and I handed them to him. I said, Cody, make sure you buy the big hot dogs and the big drinks for you and Stephen. And Cody, please forgive me for being such an idiot. Now, you know, as we grow older, the, the memories of childhood fade. They just do. And this is one that may well fade in Cody's mind. But if I'd have held my ground and refused to sign him out, he'd have never forgotten to the day he died. What a bonehead he had for a father. We get it 
wrong sometimes. They need to have an outlet to be able to talk to us. God gives us one. You say, where? Hebrews chapter 4, verse, in chapter 4, uh, he says, we don't have a high priest that doesn't understand what it's like to be in our skin. He was in all ways tempted just like we are, yet without sin. He says, so look at this. In verse 16, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I'm sure that if you're living a real life on, on planet Earth, there are times when you come to God and you're just frustrated with him. You just don't understand what's going on. He hasn't done anything wrong, but you don't get it. He says, I have a big chest. Come to me. Here's another verse that I think really helps us at this point is, uh, let me find this one here. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. We gotta give the people we love the freedom to be different, vulnerable, candid. Before I give you the, the last one, let me just mention that our ministry, Family Matters, is all about helping see, uh, families transformed by God's grace into instruments of restoration and reformation. We want to see God's grace become the defining feature of those close relationships in marriage and family in and, and, and almost a default mode, the, the temperature in the room. And we have some resources out there on a table that we can help you on that. We have a book on grace-based uh, parenting that covers this This. I'm talking about two of the levels on that, that house model. And then also we have uh, a book out there on the, on the roof on raising kids for true greatness. We have a book on the, the, the hurried lifestyle and how to, the six non-negotiables for rest that you can have to maintain that. And there's, if you do small group Bible study and you want to walk through a grace-filled marriage, the only problem is you have to invite my wife and I to your Bible study because we do the little 20-minute setup. And then you can really get into this deeply. Uh, and then I, I want to mention too that you all know... Uh, uh, Kevin Lehman, he's a great psych Christian psychologist, great writer, great thinker. He and, he, he and I are going to be doing a cruise in February. In fact, it's, it's February, let me give you the exact, February 21st through 28th, and it's called the Wit and Wisdom Cruise. So which part do you think I bring to it all? <laughs> anyway, you know, the only thing that would have made it better is if we had Mark and Deb on the boat, except we'd probably, me and Kevin and Mark would be uh, having to walk the plank by about the second day. But we'd be having a great time. We'd love for you to come along with us too. And there's a brochure out there on, on the uh, resource. If you like, because you know what's going to be going on in February here, 21st to 28th, right here in Green Bay next year? You're going to be freezing your Rastafarian ninis off. That's what you're going to be doing. You're going to be so cold. Come on and join Darcy and I and Kevin and his wife. We'd love to have you there. Let's see if you can give me back the three freedoms we have so far. Freedom, the first freedom we want to give the people we love is the freedom to be Secondly, the freedom to be vulnerable. Thirdly, the freedom to be. And lastly, you want to give the people you love the freedom to make mistakes. To make mistakes. Now, I'm not saying that we encourage them to get around. No, no, no. Nor am I saying there aren't consequences for that. Because, because the, the Bible, the Bible, you know, God, God disciplines us. I mean, he, loves, he accepts us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. And he grows us, right? And, and, and uh, discipline and correction are a form of grace. Look at this, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 and 6. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects and chastens. The point is, is that we need to have a home where if life is making up his mind there, there's a safe place for you to work through all the dangerous issues of your life. That's what home's supposed to be, and that's what church is supposed to be. It can't be done if we don't have an atmosphere of grace there. Now, where did I get these four things? I got them from how Jesus deals with you and me. He gives you and me the freedom to be different and vulnerable and candid and the freedom to make mistakes. 
He loves us and he cares for us through all of this. He's always looking at us, not by the way we're acting, but, the way he, uh, but, but, but from his heart of, of grace and, and love. And, and he desires to do a great work in us to make us more like himself. Home's a great place to do this. Our marriages are a great place to make this happen. I've got to sit down and be quiet here, but before I do, I just want to uh, remind you that the window of opportunity to touch our kids with God's grace is not open as long as we think it is. It, they slip by so fast. I was reminded of this one Saturday morning when our daughter Shiloh, she was about five years old, awakened me before dawn. And she shook me awake. And, and she said, Dad, Dad, it's time to get up for a date. <laughs> now, I'd promised her the night before I'd take her out for a breakfast date. And she'd gotten up and got ready. But I, said, I looked at the clock and said, Honey, it's still dark outside. But Daddy, I fixed my hair for you. <laughs> I, I picked this outfit out for you. I knew where she wanted to go was open because it's open every day, including Christmas, 24 hours a day. It's called a Circle K. They're, it's a convenience store. They're all over Arizona. And I thought, no, this will be great. I got to, oh, okay, honey, this will be fun. I got ready, and we got over there right about dawn at the Circle K. And she went in, she picked out some donuts and some juice, and I bought a cup of coffee, paid for everything. And then we went out, we sat down on the curb on the side of the Circle K to have our little, little date. And, and, and I'm letting her set the agenda because her date, and she, we'd gotten her the Sleeping Beauty uh, movie, and she'd been watching it over and over again, and was enchanted with that. And, and, I, and I was letting her yap away, and I said, what's your favorite part of it, said Dad? I love the part at the end, when the handsome prince and Sleeping Beauty danced together in the castle. And I thought, well, that's my favorite part, because I'd watched it with her. And I just, I don't know what provoked me, but I decided to reenact it. So I put Everything back in bags and lids on everything, and I picked her up right there. By the way, we, we, we went out and sat on the curb. You didn't even know. We were sitting kind of right next to a dumpster. There was a dumpster, but we were over here. We were safe. The dumpster's over here. We're safe. But I picked her up, and I started dancing with her. I'm singing that song, I know you. I waltzed with you once upon a dream. We were in, she just swaying with me. As I came around, there was a field right behind the circle, and right over there, some brand new homes, and they were really close, and there was a guy in his, in his, in his breakfast area there sitting there looking at me. And, 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 and a thought crossed my mind. He's over stirring his coffee, calling his wife. Quick, 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 come here, look. <laughs> There's an idiot over the Circle K, dancing with a little girl next to a dumpster. <laughs> but another thought crossed my mind. Then in a very brief period of time, some young man was going to come along and tap me on the shoulder. Say, Mr. Kimmel, may I cut in? And waltz her out of my life for Turned out his name was Ian. <laughs> and he disappeared so much sooner than I thought it was going to be. Listen, when it comes to parenting, the days are long, but the years are short. We need to, we need to seize them with grace. God bless you all.